Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Elise. And I'm Olivia. And today we are talking about inventions of all kinds. Yeah, inventions gone wrong um, and sort of <laughs> inventions right. that are like good, but then you're like, oh no, we missed something. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah. And I'm I'm intrigued by how your story is going to play out so yeah I kind of feel like I should dive right into it because there's a lot to talk about yeah honestly maybe let's dive into it and then we can like talk about stuff later if we feel like we need to like debrief I think that's a good idea okay so okay my story for this week is something that I mentioned briefly in our last episode when I was talking about the ozone layer Um, I talked in that episode about the disastrous effects of CFCs, which are chlorofluorocarbons, on the ozone layer. If you want the details Uh of that, you can go back and listen to that episode. But basically, if scientists had not set off alarm bells and like gotten our act together in the 80s and like the late 20th century, we could have eroded the entire ozone layer that protects us from radiation and could like literally destroy all life on Earth. So it's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. And um, I mentioned in that episode the inventor of CFCs. His name is Thomas Midgley Jr., who also had some other catastrophic inventions under his belt. So I have his life story for you today. It is a doozy. It was one of those things. I think I said this in the last episode where like I just came across his Wikipedia like right before we um, recorded that episode Mm -hmm. and I was like holy crap this person has such an interesting life Um, and it turns out that his legacy is more related to climate change than like maybe he would have thought or we would have thought initially Mm -hmm. so my sources for this episode first of all I just want to say like any article about him has some pretty brutal nicknames and I'll read some of them for you just to get a taste okay the most dangerous inventor in history a one-man environmental disaster the man who harmed the world the most. <laughs> that one's not even oh like catchy. God. They're just like, this guy fucked everything up. Um, <laughs> and History Channel put it simply. They said, the 1920s inventor who sped up climate change. Oof. But during his lifetime, he was regarded as a massive success. So first of all, before I forget, my sources were um, Brain Blaze, New Scientist, Financial Times Weekend, an amazing book called Prometheans in the Lab by Sharon Birch McGrain, and a little bit of the Wikipedia of Thomas Midgley Jr. and History Channel. There are a lot of articles about this guy that like tend to kind of repeat the same story, mm-hmm. but Sharon Birch McGrain's book is like amazing, really going into his whole life and legacy. So props to that and just like everyone that has covered this story because is it is crazy. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Midgley was born in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania in 1889. The spirit of invention was definitely in his DNA. His dad and his maternal grandfather were both inventors. So his dad mm-hmm. was involved in like automobile tire innovation and his grandfather invented the inserted tooth saw which at first I was afraid to look up because I thought it would be like something related to <laughs> dentistry, but actually it's just like a serrated blade for a saw. Um, oh, interesting. But it's a very important invention, just less scary than inserted tooth saw sounds. Um, yeah. So while he was in high school, Thomas came up with a new way to pitch a reliable curveball in baseball. Instead of spitting on the ball, um, which is what a lot of people did, he would rub the ball with elm tree juice, which would make it like really slippery and produce like a really reliable curveball. It was so reliable that pro pitchers actually adopted the practice. 
So even in high school, he was kind of getting that inventor juices flowing, you know? Mm -hmm. So a few years after graduating from Cornell in 1911 with a mechanical engineering degree, Thomas started working for General Motors. Um, I think right after graduation, he had gotten, uh, I forget what it's called, but he like had been inducted into this thing that was also for inventors. So he was, again, just kind of Hmm. like greasing those wheels for a long time. Mm -hmm. He began to work under the supervision of Charles Kettering, who low-key is maybe who this story should actually be about. Kettering held 186 patents and worked with both GM and DuPont. Mm. Um, He invented the automobile starter. Yeah, that grown. (laughs) (laughs) Our friends, DuPont, pretty much involved in any story that we have ever done. Yeah, it's really wild how there are like four companies that all these stories go back to. Yeah, unfortunate. (laughs) So Kettering invented the automobile starter motors, which a variation of those are still used today, um, and tons of other inventions. Um, He worked with Thomas Midgley throughout his career. They were known as Boss, Ket, and Midge which I think is very cute. Um, and also Kettering said that Thomas Midgley was the greatest discovery he ever made. I just wrote cute. <laughs> very sweet. Regardless of whether or not I like them. That's cute as hell. They're very like sweet, like cartoon best friends with like yeah. very sinister undertones. I mean, I Boss, Cat, and Midge. Are you kidding? Like that's that's a cartoon. They probably already exist. Yeah. Um, So Kettering gave Thomas the task of fixing the problem of knocking engines, which is basically Mm -hmm. early automobiles would produce this super, super loud, obnoxious banging noise when the fuel ignition was incorrectly timed or like if the engine was trying to strain itself, like going up a hill or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, which made it kind of hard to use cars. Um, Not Mm -hmm. only was the sound super annoying, but it could also destroy the engines and prevented the use of higher octane fuel. Gotcha. Um, so Kettering and Midgley wanted to fix the problem so that GM could compete with Ford's Model T and create an affordable car for the masses. So Thomas got to work experimenting. It's worth pointing out that Thomas only took the basic required chemistry course at Cornell. Um, the rest of his chemistry mm-hmm. knowledge was very much self-taught. Um, he also, it sounded like, wasn't super interested in his class. Like he was only interested in the classes that he really was passionate about when he was in school and the rest he kind of just like did enough to get by. Um, Mm -hmm. He also definitely had a flair for showmanship. Um, Early on, early on, he discovered that ethyl iodine would stop the knocking, but it was kind of too expensive to use commercially. Um, When Henry Ford came for a visit, Midgley stuck a handkerchief soaked in ethyl iodine in his pocket And when they went to the knocking test engine, it's like super loud. He made this sort of Mm -hmm. dramatic abracadabra gestures over the engine while his handkerchief in his pocket was like (laughs) right next to the inlet. And he was like, "Ooh, wow, look at I like I stopped the knocking just by like kind of waving my hands. Um, That's so fun. Yeah. So he definitely liked to do stuff like that, probably because he spent most of his time in a lab all day, just like testing all these different sources of chemicals. So whenever he had to like sell it to people he kind of went all out yeah I love that that's so fun yeah yeah I can't hate on that I mean some of his later experiments I'll tell you about are are interesting but I can't hate on that it's definitely makes for like an interesting I don't know makes those things more fun yeah um but unsurprisingly capitalism does play a major role 
in this whole story. Eventually, after lots of experimentation, Kettering and Midgley landed on a leaded petrol as a solution, um, largely because it could be patented in a way that simpler alternative fuels could not. Um, so it was leaded petrol. They knew that lead was dangerous. Um, we've known about the dangers of lead for literally thousands of years, like since the Roman Empire mm -hmm. and probably before. <laughs> but lead was the cheapest and the most efficient solution. Um, and it only required a 20th of 1% to achieve the desired results. So they uh -huh. nicknamed tetraethyl lead ethyl, which was like sort of a feminine name. It took lead out of it, which people knew that like, Lead was bad. So if they heard tetraethyl lead, they would be like, oh, I don't want to be anywhere near that. But if it was just called mm -hmm. ethyl or ethyl gasoline, they were like, oh, that sounds harmless and nice and perhaps innovative. Um, yeah. There are old like gasoline ads that are, you know, it's like premium gasoline and trying to like just make ethyl seem like this completely like harmless, but like super innovative thing that's going to make your car go faster and like you yeah. know, stop that embarrassing knocking and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, several workers in leaded petrol producing factories died from the substance. Um, others dealt with psychotic effects. Men would be in the middle Oof. of their shift and become convinced that someone was chasing them. There was one story of a former Irish general turned factory worker who died confined to a straitjacket from lead poisoning. And when a company spokesperson was asked about it, they suggested that maybe he went insane from working too hard, in quotations. Mm, I see. <laughs> so lead is a neurotoxin that damages the nervous system, the brain, major organs. And in kids, they absorb nearly half of the lead that they inhale. And for adults, it's like 40%. So mm. if you're using leaded gasoline and there's lead in the exhaust, there's kind of potentially lots of lead going into the atmosphere. Mm. But this type of concern didn't really stop Midgley's theatrics. Uh, at a press meeting for those concerned about the substance, like potentially resulting in widespread lead poisoning, uh -huh. Thomas washed his hands in the gas um, because they'd heard that your hands could be especially affected. Um, and then he held the substance up to his nose for a minute. And he was like, see, I'm fine. Look at me. Cool. But behind the scenes, it's not like Kettering and Midgley didn't do anything about this. Yeah. They were aware of the potential repercussions, um, even though they thought that health officials were too paranoid and were like crazy fanatic cranks or something like they had some less than kind things to say about them. They sort of like started the process of getting university and like the Bureau of Mines to do studies. They went to like Harvard mm -hmm. Medical School and stuff, but none of those really ever materialized. The only ones that followed through were heavily controlled by industry interests. The The Bureau of Mines did do a study, but they made an agreement with industry to not use the word lead. So they used like the terms ethyl gasoline and stuff, basically avoiding lead. And they only focused on like occupational worries, not on environmental concerns. And you have to remember that the EPA, NIOSH, like none of these um, regulation systems were really in place. So a lot of the like testing that would have been done would have been done by the industry themselves. I don't know. There are stories of like, these health officials paid their own way to D.C. to come and like lobby against this stuff. And meanwhile, GM and DuPont and like all the companies that are profiting off of this and like have this mm -hmm. booming automobile industry have no problem just like crushing their concerns. So 
yeah, there was that heavily controlled industry study. And then Thomas Midgley did his own tests, which like very much is hmm. the confidence of a self-taught like chemist, um, not a yeah. toxicologist. He was a mechanical engineer. He mm-hmm. did his own tests and he determined that now nah, the exhaust is fine. There's no lead in the exhaust. It's just there's lead in the substance and then it like disappears. Cool. Yeah. Um, based on his own studies. <laughs> so we're like, sure. Yeah. Other international chemists warned him, but he was like, no, I'm going to be fine. There was a German chemist who was like, I've been working with lead for, you know, my whole career. And like all of the other chemists that I used to work with are now like dead or severely ill. And Thomas Midgley was like, not can't be me. (laughs) Like not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he did have an interesting um, impact of body temperature his body temperature dropped 2.5 degrees fahrenheit below average and he said something like you know i have to go on vacation to florida to clear my lungs because he had been told by a doctor that he had lead poisoning but he was like you know i'm just gonna go to florida i'm gonna do some golfing i'm gonna clear my lungs get like some of the fresh air build some like new lining to my lungs and then i'll come back good as new i'll be totally fine i don't have lead poisoning whatever so that's what he did i i didn't realize he like people were like you have lead poisoning and he was just like like not people were just like oh there's a good chance that you could get it like doctors were like you have it yeah and he was just like, actually, no, I, I don't. To be That's fair, wild. I don't know what their specific diagnosis wow. was to him, but they definitely said you have lead in your lungs. And so he was like, Got, yeah, I'll yeah, just yeah. go to like, Florida. There's lead where there, where there shouldn't be in your body. Yeah. And he's like, wow. no, I'm going to be fine. He's like, I don't want to become a cl- cold, cold blooded reptile. So I'll go and like spend some time in the tropics <laughs> to like clear my lungs. I'm like, Jesus Christ. If that's how you like. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of the story that you have to tell yourself, right? Um, If you don't want to believe that, like, something's going to happen to you. Yeah. There was a 1965 study that was cited by Financial Times Weekend that found that U.S. levels of airborne lead had increased a thousandfold since 1923. So between 1923 and 1965, a thousandfold. Wow. Eventually, in the latter half of the century, as we know, lead was phased out. But... And it's it's difficult to exactly determine how much lead was in the atmosphere and how much of that is directly tied to leaded gasoline. But if you consider mm-hmm. um, the popularity of leaded gasoline and the studies like this that do show like airborne quantities, it was pretty major. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever heard of the lead crime hypothesis. Have you heard of that? Um, not specifically, no. Um, Again, this could be a whole nother story, but it's basically the idea that when lead was fully phased out in the 1990s, crime levels dropped in the U.S. dramatically. And similarly, Uh in the 1920s, when lead and petrol was introduced, violent crime went up. Interesting. So, of course, there. that's not surprising. Yeah. Honestly. And like if you know about the like psychotic qualities of like too much exposure to lead yeah that's something that could be very much a possibility yeah we still have like a lead pipe problem mm-hmm. in this united states too so like i feel like that should be like a really big priority but it's not yeah and there have been a lot of studies like relating those two things um but of course there are a lot of yeah. factors at play including like crime statistics and the way that those are taken social issues um racism 
but it is a really interesting mm-hmm. correlation. And if you just look at the graphs of like how dramatically yeah. it spiked in the 1920s and then the drop in the 1990s, it is yeah. like crazy. Yeah, because I feel like people also always talk about how like rough the, the 80s were. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was just like peak lead time. Yeah. And then like. Yeah, people have said that before. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's also crazy because we knew how bad lead was. And so it's just like kind of convincing ourselves like, oh, no, for some reason this time it's going to be different is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just I don't know. Just the like when things aren't like immediately, obviously, like tragically bad. I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like everybody's fine. Yeah. And then everyone is just out doing crime. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Like. That's wild. They went insane because they were working too hard. <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> like what? Hello. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not even the end. That's not even how we found out about this story. That whole situation. Yeah. Um, in 1928, Thomas decided to solve another problem. So at the time, substances like ammonia and propane were used as refrigerants. And while they worked very well as refrigerants, they were also toxic and flammable. There's some really scary horror Mm. stories of people. I mean, houses catching on fire. There was a hospital in Cleveland that like 100 people died at because there was a refrigerant leak. Um, So it's a very serious problem. But also more and more people were using refrigerants because of the the way that it made us able to not only preserve food for longer, but also preserve things like vaccines and medications. That's why hospitals had Mm. such large refrigerators that could cause that much damage. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of this, again, a different catch 22 that uh, the initial part of that Thomas Midgley had nothing to do with. Um, But then Mm -hmm. Kettering and Thomas were like, Along with their team, they found that chlorofluorocarbons could be highly volatile um, as refrigerants had to be in order to work, but that they were also non-toxic. So they suggested this as a replacement for those other flammable substances. They called it Freon. And Thomas Midgley once inhaled the substance and immediately blew out a candle, supposedly to prove that it was both safe and non-flammable because he could blow out a candle (laughs) with it in his breath. If you want a more detailed explanation of why CFCs are so terrible, you should go and listen to our last episode because I went into like pretty extensive detail of the way that they played a major role in reducing the protection of the ozone layer in the stratosphere, which protects us from radiation. Once CFCs were adopted as refrigerants, they were also used in hairspray and as a propellant in asthma inhalers, um, all different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Elise, as I told you last week um, or last episode, uh-huh. these chemicals slowly made their way down to the Antarctic and produced what we know as the ozone hole. And that if it had not been fixed by a lot of very smart scientists and people um, in the latter half of the century could have seriously destroyed our protection from radiation, which protects all life yes. on Earth. Without an a healthy ozone layer, we would see increased rates of skin cancer, failing crops, and difficulty growing plants, and in more extreme cases, disruption to the basis of our ecosystem. Uh, so kind of a big deal. But again, in the short term, mm-hmm. it solved this problem of being non-flammable and non-toxic and allowing us to use refrigerants for home use, for commercial use. Um, I think the vaccine and like medication one is also an interesting thing to think about because when we talk about Thomas Midgley being this like disastrous inventor, 
I stand true to that like claim, but he also did mm-hmm. in other ways solve like not solve save and improve a lot of lives with his inventions. Yeah. During his lifetime, Midgley was seen as a raging success and a revolutionary innovator. He held 117 patents and he was quite wealthy. Um, He was awarded honorary degrees and the highest honors from the Society of Chemical Industry, as well as the American Chemical Society, for which he briefly served as president in 1944, which was the same year as his death. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had to guess, you'd probably assume that he died from lead poisoning or some sort of chemical poisoning, the stuff in his lungs, something like that. Not quite, Mm -hmm. but there is. I already told you this, Elise, (laughs) because I literally couldn't hold it in. Um, (laughs) Not quite, but there is this sort of poetic justice, I think, to his death, um, which was caused by one of his own inventions. Um, But it is a sad demise. So in 1940, Midgley contracted polio, which left him with severe mobility issues, including like really completely losing the use of his legs. He devised a rope pulley system that would help him get out of bed in the morning. But unfortunately, on a Thursday morning in 1944, at the age of 55, Thomas got entangled in his own pulley system and died of strangulation. Which is just so wild Mm -hmm. and terrifying. Yeah. But also, like, that is not how I expected that he would have gone out. Me neither. That was the thing I read on Wikipedia right before our last episode. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I was telling my roommate about it. And I was like, this is so bleak. I just have to, like, whisper it. I can't even... I can't even say it. Um, But apparently, uh, according to uh, the book that I was talking about earlier, apparently a lot of his friends just shared the story that he had accidentally gotten entangled in his own police system. Um, But actually, it was something that he might have meditated like and decided to do in order to end his life early because of the severe effects of polio that had really like reduced his um, ability to independently you know go about his life um which is Mm. incredibly sad and you know that is really sad so many horrific stories of um the way that polio impacted people but it is Mm -hmm. kind of interesting that like his his friends shared that story that it had been an accident in order to kind of protect his honor for a long time who knows what the truth is i don't think his wife ever said anything who was the person that discovered him Mm. but he did kind of say his goodbyes to people like he even though he was only 55 he did like you know stop working he was had said goodbye to a lot of his friends so I think that that theory is like something that could definitely be true probably yeah but yeah so if you think about the legacy of Thomas Midgley when he died he was like one of the most celebrated inventors of his time and his mentor was an even more famous inventor But the writer Bill Bryson said that Thomas Midgley held an instinct for the regrettable that was almost uncanny. Like I said, you could argue accurately that his innovations saved lives and improved the lives of many, many people. But then his Mm -hmm. legacy also serves as a cautionary tale for innovation without regard for the environment. Yeah, 100 percent for human safety and being like, let's just sniff this lead. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine, guys. Look, look, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's wild. I feel like you hear stories so many times of like people like I guess specifically with artists, but I feel like things that people invent or like a discovery isn't like the full extent of like what it means Mm -hmm. isn't found out until after someone like has passed. 
but I feel like it's it isn't maybe maybe it is but I don't know I feel like it's not necessarily as common for someone to be like really successful and then turn around and be like oh no Mm -hmm. (laughs) they did they did bad things yeah Um, and I didn't even get too much into like the specifics of because it's sort of confusing over the course of his career like GM and DuPont worked together they had different companies and then Kettering and Midgley had their own companies and would become the vice president of like different subsidiaries there's this whole area of mm -hmm. like corporate money and corporate power and in some cases greed or just like the effects of capitalism that like hugely had an impact on the way that they earned their living and like made their decisions I don't Mm -hmm. think that either like that Thomas Midgley was an evil person by any means Um, I think he was like intensely creative and he was described as a super curious person which I think is a fantastic Mm -hmm. quality but I think that there I should have put them in here but there were some like quotes but I think Kettering especially really liked being quoted and his his kind of general <laughs> vibe was like you know we can't be afraid of the future we have to like rush towards it and if we you know we fail we just try and try again like that kind of thing yeah um but the the last quote that like apparently Thomas Midgley telephoned from his deathbed mm-hmm. this I'm gonna read it I might read it for you twice because it's sort of hard to understand but okay. I think it's it very much describes his mentality So he said, we are the only species of living creatures that even conceives of exerting any control over the environment thrust upon it. Admittedly, this control Mm. is far from complete. Its extension is greatly to be desired. So basically, (laughs) I mean, I can read it again, again, because it's sort of a confusing quote. He said, we are the only species of living creatures that even conceives of exerting any control over the environment thrust upon it. Admittedly, this control is far from complete. Its extension is greatly to be desired. Basically, that man should control yeah. the environment and seeing the environment and men as yeah. and humans as as separate. Yeah, which yeah is just also so so wild. Like I don't know, it just is like okay, no other animal is doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, is this good? Yeah, and also yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> like I think that there's a maybe um, white man from the global north kind of like uh, confidence that comes that can. Be, just be horribly destructive because they're like oh no one else has come up with this because no one else has been as smart as me and as innovative as me when actually it's yeah. like no there's a lot of things no that you're like had this terrible idea or like there's a lot of people that don't put their blinders on to the like devastating impacts of things and just like po- yeah. power forward yeah so yeah that's the story of thomas midgley jr yeah that's mm-hmm. oh. That's so so wild. I'm so glad I'm so glad you told this story like right after yeah. the last episode. But should I get into my story? Yes, please, because I'm also very curious. Hi, it is Elise from the future dropping in to say, uh, boy, what a week for me to have picked to talk about period products. Um, I am absolutely heartbroken and just so incredibly angry about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I just wanted to voice that acknowledge that here. Um, You know, if my topic isn't what you want to be listening to right now, I totally get that and would not blame you for skipping this one and just taking care of yourself. Um, That said, we will list some abortion access funds in the episode description and link them with our sources. Um, Donating to those organizations is the best way to make sure people have bodily autonomy and the right to choose right now and in the coming months. 
it's become so clear that the physical and mental health of Americans is not a priority at all for so many people in the government. And unfortunately, my story this week makes that even more clear. Um, So sending all of my love and all of my strength. Let's get back into it. Okay, so for my story, my sources are the Sierra Club magazine, National Library of Medicine, Momovation, EWG, Top Class Actions, the Thinks website, Reuters, Bloomberg Law, JD Supra, the Geo Forward breakdown of PFAS, which oh no. like is my rock when it comes to understanding what PFAS are. Cause I always forget I'm, or I'm just like, what are these things? So that's my favorite resource ever. Um, and Thought Co. Um, so yeah, I have previously um linked that Geo Forward page on our Aaron Brockovich um mm-hmm. thing, but I was like referring back to old resources. So thank you, past me, for doing re- research. So I didn't have to do it this time. Um so every now and then I have a conversation with someone that like stops me dead in my tracks and I'm like, okay, I need to know more about this. This is absolutely going to be my next podcast topic. <laughs> so I was playing D&D with some folks and one of my friends was like, hey, just so you guys know, there's this class action lawsuit happening against Thinks Underwear, which if anyone doesn't know, it's like a period underwear company because they allegedly have PFAS in their underwear and it's causing problems for people. So if anyone has them, (laughs) you might want to think about wearing them uh, or look into it. So I was like, thank you. Good to know because I ordered some Thinks Underwear last summer and I have loved using them. And uh, I've also loved using a menstrual cup in the past, but (laughs) my dog did eat it uh, this past week. So I I have very few reusable period solutions left to me. Yeah, damn. So I was like, good to know. Well, I guess I need to rethink everything. Yeah, I really like them. I know a lot of people who really like them. They're kind of less of a hassle than like a cup or a lot of other things. So yeah, they've, uh, Thinks has gotten a lot of praise for having like a really great product. I, I think they're great. I think they're also pretty cute too. Like, like there are ones with like sheer panels on the sides. Like they look cute. Like they're not like sad. They don't feel like you're wearing a diaper. Yeah. I have, I have a couple pairs yeah. that again, I, I really like and have worn in the last few weeks. I wear them like with a menstrual cap. But it's a really nice thing to yeah. have, if, especially if you're like a side sleeper um, or you're just like lazy. And I think as soon as I started using a menstrual cup, maybe like five years ago, I was like, cool. I don't have to think about my period at all anymore, which is not true because eventually you have to take them out. Yeah. They it just made me notoriously lazy, which like thinks underwear or period underwear has helped with a lot. Yeah. But yeah. But also I'm concerned about what you're about to tell me. So keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So like 100%, like they're such an easy solution either to wear on their own or to like wear with other things. And again, like periods can be very wasteful. Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of trash that is created. So it is really awesome. And you kind of do your upfront investment, which things are kind of expensive, but still you kind of do your upfront investment and then you don't have to go to the store or you're like, shit, I started my period and 
I'm out of tampons or mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah, so I have, have like jumped on the Thinks bandwagon. So my friend's comment was like pretty alarming. So I decided that I would do a little bit of research. So if anyone out there is listening and is like, oh shit, I have these in my underwear drawer, you can make a decision for yourself about how to proceed. So before we get into specifics about uh, what's going on with lawsuits and the brands and all that stuff, what even are PFAS and why are they bad? So we've talked about this a little bit before, but PFAS um, is basically an umbrella term. Uh, Also, I don't know. I feel like PFAS, I always just say PFAS and I never refer to it as like PFASs. Hmm. I never say it as plural. So I might just be... I feel like I say PFAS. PFAS? Yeah. PFASs. I don't know. PFAS. Whatever. So PFAS or PFAS, I might not be like grammatically using that correct in the plural term, but it's fine. Anyway, it's an umbrella term for a whole family of man-made compounds that are made of chains of carbon with fluorine atoms. And they are referred to forever chemicals because once they are introduced to the environment or an environment, they are basically impossible to get rid of. Now, PFAS, they have been found in veggies and milk because they're used in fertilizer. They've been found in nonstick products. Um, basically, they will give nonstick products the nonstick coating. Oh, yeah, like Teflon and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, they're in materials resistant to liquid, grease, and stains, as well as just like a host of other products like guitar strings, artificial turf, cosmetics, tooth floss, building materials like paints, sealers, um, carpet, especially if carpet is like stain resistant and just like that list goes on and on. <laughs> so we come in contact with them all the time. So it's no surprise that it's pretty hard to find Americans without PFAS or PFAS in their blood these days. So like I said, we talk about uh, PFAS in our Aaron Brockovich and Rob Bala episode, which is episode 13. If you want to Go back and listen. If you haven't already, that's a very good like companion episode mm-hmm. to see some like pretty intense effects of PFAS. So yeah. Uh, and then then going on like, so we have PFAS in our blood. Why is this bad? They do have some pretty gnarly effects on the human body and also of animals. So PFAS have been linked to reduction in immunity, metabolic diseases, reduced vaccination response, which is particularly concerning. I think it particularly has a big effect on kids. So like we're mm. getting vaccinated for COVID. If we have or have high uh, PFAS exposure, that isn't great. Yeah, well, yikes. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that one. Cardiovascular disease, um, growth and development in children, increased risk of allergies and asthma in kids, infertility, increased risk of miscarriage, increased cholesterol levels, low sperm count, smaller penis size, and increased risk of cancers, specifically testicular and kidney cancers. So overall, bad news. And while most concerns come from ingesting PFAS, like through water or food or whatever, uh, studies also show that it can be absorbed through the skin. And that might be just as bad as if you were to eat it. Now, since we are talking about period underwear, basically the skin down there is pretty thin and pretty absorbent. 
so PFAS in like pretty long-term contact with that skin can potentially be really bad, especially given like a lot of the effects of PFAS are like reproductive. Mm-hmm. And and also once PFAS are induced, uh, introduced to an environment, like it's hard to get them to go away. Like I don't really know how long they stay in the human body. Mm. So like, you know, if a woman were to wear them and then get pregnant, is the kid going to have PFAS in their body just like from contact? It's we're not sure. Um, There are lots of questions that are, you know, unclear. They don't really have answers. Yeah. Anyway, people were like, huh, seems not great. So the big thing is that, yeah, none of this is illegal technically. So there really aren't any laws against having PFAS in underwear or really any clothing. There are a few laws that have to do with what menstrual products are made of. Um, So there's a law in New York that went into effect this past October that requires, quote, intentionally added ingredients and all period products to be disclosed. And one in California that goes into effect in 2023 Mm. that also mandates the disclosure of ingredients in period underwear. And while these laws are really great for encouraging transparency, they don't actually cover any situations in which products could be contaminated by harmful substances uh, Mm. somewhere along the production line. So like I was just trying to think of like how that could happen. But like you can imagine like, I don't know, like let's say a machine has like grease to keep it going and like parts of the machine have like grease resistant Mm -hmm. coatings or something. And then the underwear is on there and there's like a lot of transfer or something like that could be a situation in which it's contaminated. So basically... Yeah, it encourages people to share what intentionally goes into uh, the products, but it, you know, there's no required monitoring of like the quality or the end ingredients, I guess, yeah. of finished products or substance that, substances that were unintentionally added. Um, and also, it doesn't stop people from just like adding PFAS into their products as long as it is disclosed. If most people don't know what that is, then... Then it doesn't matter, right? Like, uh, PFAS are in, like, tooth... It's in tooth floss and shit. Like, Mm -hmm. it's in products that we use all the time. So, unless you really know about this, like, there's a good chance that it's just going to, like, slip your mind. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, that's just some interesting law and legal stuff. So, yeah. So, it turns out there's not a ton of laws... But it almost seems like <laughs> it seems like looking at like the or how the things website was or just like a lot of these period underwear brands, they exclaim on their website that they are PFAS free and they have like tons of legitimate certifications backing it up. Like, why would we even really need laws if everyone's already kind of taking it upon mm. themselves to make sure they have these like all natural products, right? So people started getting suspicious about these claims and they took things into their own hands. So like the certifications weren't necessarily always on the website, but they kind of said those claims and then other people were like, okay, like, can you explain? Um, so Jesse and Troy tried to, uh, to get those kinds of answers 
And she mailed a few pairs of Thanks underwear to nuclear physicist Graham Peasley for testing to see if they contained PFAS. And Justine Choi, she writes for uh, Sierra, the Sierra Club magazine. Mm. So she was like, let's do a little test ourselves. So Graham Peasley, this nuclear physicist, discovered that many fast food wrappers contain PFAS. Um, right. He discovered this in 2017. Mm-hmm. So he, he was kind of like the go-to guy for like finding out if something has PFAS in it or not. Mm-hmm. So there are thousands of different types of PFAS. So it's like one, it doesn't make sense to test for every single one individually because that would be so many tests. And I imagine that would be incredibly expensive. And also some PFAS, they don't have ways to actually test for them specifically. Mm. So you actually can't test for every single PFAS individually. So since on both ends, it doesn't make sense to test for them individually. Kind of a hack for that is using a particle-induced gamma ray emissions, uh, or PIGE, spectroscopy test. Piggy. Um, Yeah. To measure the amount of fluorine in an item, in this case, underwear. So that's what Peasley did. And yeah, it's basically a blanket way to test for any any type of PFAS. And that is also like that is what they do to test for PFAS in food and food packaging and all that. So it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't we use it to test for that on clothes? So after testing the things underwear in this way, Peasley found that uh, found 3,264 parts per million in the kind of underwear Jessian usually wears. And which which she ordered new ones. She didn't send in any used underwear. Just to clarify, <laughs> that was a big point. In the articles were like, we swear, straight from the factory. Um, and he found 2,053 parts per million in the pair that it sold for teens. Jesus. So... Yeah. So while this testing was only done on one pair, which kind of is like there there isn't really a good like sample size, whatever, for this test. Or ones that were years ago, like created years ago, you know? Yeah. So it was just like one pair, like you can tell in this testing, like the the measurements change from like type to type, like even within brands. So there definitely needs to be more testing done in this way. But basically the levels were high enough to suggest that PFAS they were either intentionally or unintentionally introduced during the manufacturing process as opposed to like accidental contamination Mm. um, or like from the packaging or, you know, from just being out and about. Like it's very unlikely that this underwear doesn't have PFAS in it. Mm -hmm. Now, the folks at Momovation also had independent tests done and they found that 65% of the brands that they tested were contaminated with at least some level of PFOS. And I will read out all the brands at the end if, you know, people are interested in what is a good brand to buy from. Mm-hmm. So clearly whatever's happening somewhere along the manufacturing process, you know, something something's up here. And finished pairs of underwear are being shipped to people with sometimes very high levels of PFAS. And I feel like it's also, <laughs> I feel like a lot of times I see parts per trillion in measurements of PFAS, mm-hmm. but this was like parts per million, which is like 
seems really high. So that's just an observation that I have. But yeah, the author of the Sierra Club magazine piece, Jessian, then reached out to Thinks asking what the deal was. Um, and they emailed back with 17 uh, certificates and test results from Bureau Veritas along with OCS and GOTS Ecolabels, which apparently showed their products were PFAS free. But clearly that didn't line up with the independent test results. Mm. So what's going on? Now, these certifications only tested for specific chemicals of, quote, high concern that should, like, never, ever be in textiles in the first place because they're highly bioaccumulative, um, including some PFAS, namely the C8 to C14 (laughs) perfluorocarboxylic acids. So C8 to C14. uh, I feel like C8 was a big one in the Aaron Brockovich stuff um c8 is bad but yeah so that range and then the c6 perfluorosulfonic acid and <laughs> hfpo slash da um <laughs> so those are some ones that should never ever be in in uh clothing so yeah they test for the big boys but it's not like a look at every single thing that could cause harm or all pfas mm-hmm. so you can't really say if you don't test for all PFAS, you can't really say that your product is PFAS free. Like it's just free of some of them, maybe. It's free of some of them, maybe. But again, there are thousands. So, so anyway, the thing CEO Maria Molland did respond to all of this and cited. So, like basically, once the the article dropped and everything, she responded to everything and cited a toxicologist from Intertox saying that Peasley's PIGE test only indicates the presence of elemental fluoride, not PFAS. Fluoride is a common salt that's in everyday products like toothpaste. All of us carry fluoride around in our bodies and secrete it through things like blood and sweat. The presence of fluoride doesn't mean something contains PFAS. What it does mean is that sometime in the history of the sample, it came into contact with one or more of any number of products containing fluoride. So the PIGE test that Peasley did, it didn't specifically test for fluoride. It tested for fluorine. And um, maybe this is too in the weeds, but I think it's kind of interesting. And, you know, PFAS aren't going anywhere. So I feel like this is just going to come up more and more. So anyway... Fluorine is like a chemical element, and in its pure form, it's highly toxic, reactive, and it's a yellowish-green gas. And then the fluorine anion, or F-, or any compounds containing that anion, are termed fluorides. And when you hear about fluoride in drinking water, it comes from adding a fluorine compound like sodium fluoride or sodium fluorosilicate or something like that, basically, to drinking water. I'm barely hanging on. I'm trying to understand. <laughs> but but basically, like, there are compounds with, with that, like, referred to as fluoride that contain, like, a fluorine anion. And then there's fluorine, the element. And basically, basically, all that to say is they were testing specifically for fluorine. And that, like, will come up in different tests, differently in tests as if you, as opposed to if you are testing toothpaste with fluoride gotcha but anyway if someone's like they're just testing for toothpaste juice like (laughs) that's not what's happening (laughs) so anyway the tests did find fluorine which is very specific uh suspicious 
when it comes to the presence of PFAS. And upon looking at the patent for Think's underwear, there is a bit that says that they, quote, may be treated with polyfluoroalkylacrylates, which are fluoropolymers that would come up on the fluorine test. And also, they could potentially shed short-chain PFAS over time and wear. So there it is. There's the PFAS. It's, it, it's added. They're, they're treated with something that could shed PFAS. And there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in response to this, things didn't change their product at all, but they did change their messaging. So basically, they took off any mention of PFAS off their website and replaced it with, you know, statements saying that they were free from PFOA, which is awesome. Like, you don't want PFOA in your underwear, but it's only one type of PFAS when there are thousands. So greatly narrowing their claims. And not using layman's terms, too. So no one like most people are not going to understand the difference between PFOAs and PFAS. Yeah. Which, yeah, again, like PFOA is one thing under the category of PFAS. So, yeah. And even though they did change that. So basically everything on their website was changed to be factual. Mm -hmm. Their current tagline slash like mission statement is a healthier world through sustainable solutions to menstruation and incontinence. So, like, can they even make those claims if their products are shedding PFAS in the wash, polluting the environment, and also potentially causing a host of health issues for the wearers of their products? Cue the lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So, there have been three major class action lawsuits filed against period underwear brands. Thinks has had two filed, one in 2020 and the other one in 2022. So just like very, very recently. And Nix has had one filed against it in 2021. So the first Thinks lawsuit was filed by a Californian woman named Destiny Kanan saying that uh, independent testing showed Thinks contained PFAS and that the product or that the company was intentionally misleading consumers to sell more product. Uh, The suit accuses things of breach of implied warranty, unjust enrichment, violations of California false advertising and unfair competition law and neglect to uh, neglect failure to warn customers about potential health risks. Hmm. So I I just think like this, this stuff is very interesting because it's like, what what are they not allowed to do, I guess, and what is fine? So, so far in this suit. U.S. District Court Judge James Selna allowed most of these claims to get through, but he has dismissed claims of implied warranty of merchandise under California law for negligent failure to warn. He's dismissed those because basically he says that the Food and Drug Administration does not require the disclosure of individual ingredients in menstruation hygiene products. So basically they're like, the law doesn't require you to talk about this. So no. But Hmm. um, the claims that survived uh, and survived Think's motion to dismiss everything include express warranty, unjust enrichment, as well as violations of California's unfair competition law and the false advertising law. And also the judge denied Think's bid to eject non-California class members uh, from the lawsuit. So, yeah, I just think that that's important to think about because, again... There's not a ton of laws like protecting us against what's actually happening, but there are laws protecting us against companies falsely advertising things, saying things that are 
you know, PFAS free or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. that's the crime, I guess. Right. It's not what's actually in the product. Yeah. It's like how they talked about it later. Um, so I just, I just think that's like an interesting distinction. And the undressed enrichment thing is interesting too, because it's like, um, Mm -hmm. I think we, we were talking about the story like via text. And one thing was that like things kind of jumps ahead of other companies on like, you know, becomes Mm -hmm. like this massive success. But then it's like, okay, well, what Mm -hmm. maybe were the smaller other companies trying to get in place before they marketed their product that like maybe larger companies didn't think about or didn't worry about. Exactly. So that's like kind of the second thanks lawsuit Mm. that like comes into it a lot. So that one (laughs) just dropped. I don't know. Like uh, (laughs) I kept being like this lawsuit hot off the presses Um, was brought by plaintiffs Jillian Blinas and Lily Mitchell in the state of Massachusetts, Mm. seeking to represent other customers that bought things underwear, specifically saying that they paid more for the product, specifically because the company made uh, them feel that their product was more environmentally friendly and safer than single-use products. Mm -hmm. So definitely comparing them against single-use products is huge because, again, there's no laws requiring companies to tell you or there's very few laws you know requiring companies to disclose what are actually in their products and as you said before or as I was saying before um they're not even that great because like unintentional things can get could get in there or things that like you know those ingredients are treated with Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff so when things comes along and is like we're whatever we're free of all those things we're great we're really environmentally friendly Mm -hmm. you know you can use our products over and over again and they don't have all these bad chemicals but then it's like they do they paid more for that that claim right and then mitchell also alleges she had several infections after using the product and says it was because of the chemicals so i guess uh, there have been complaints about um different types of infections and just like the products causing like irregular periods and things like that Mm. i don't i don't think there are any studies correlating them yet but those are just like people's experiences wow so both plaintiffs say that things sold their product on being quote non-toxic harmless sustainable organic and otherwise safe for women and the environment when in reality things underwear contains harmful chemicals including polyfluoroalkyl substances or pfas (laughs) and silver nanoparticles um, which are safety which are a safety hazard to the female body Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. We love that. We love that for us. Um, so the Thanks class action lawsuit accuses a company of falsely advertising and hiding information about toxins contained in its products from consumers in violation of Massachusetts state law. So the plaintiffs want Thanks to pay damages to them and other Massachusetts residents who purchased the products. And she also wants a or they both want a court order stopping the alleged false advertising of Thanks underwear. Now, there's one more major class action lawsuit going against the company NYX, which is, it's confusing because Thinks is spelled T-H-I-N-X and NYX is spelled K-N-I-X. And I don't know where like the trend to throw an X in your like period underwear yeah. brand came in, um, but it's there. So... I like read them as the same. They look the same, yeah. me, but they're different. So <laughs> the Nick's lawsuit 
uh, dropped this year. And Gemma Rivera and Marissa Franz of California say they relied on the company's marketing, saying their underwear was PFAS-free and designed to be both safe and effective. They claim the company violated California unfair competition law, California Consumer Legal Remedies Act, uh, the Song Beverly Consumer Warranty Act, and uh, basically the California advertising law fraud, which fraud, uh, misrepresentation, failure to warrant, breach of express warranty. Damn. Um, So they threw the book at them kind of thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel like that's, that's, I guess, what you got to do. But yeah. So as far as I can tell... All of these suits are ongoing. Maybe we'll have a little update mini so if anything happens yeah. with this. But so far, it seems like like it's all those like false advertising kind of things that seem like they're gaining the most traction mm-hmm. in this discussion. But yeah, so my my little conclusion is that while it seems like Thinks and Nicks and other underwear brands haven't necessarily done like as much as they possibly can to ensure that their products are safe given what they know now, I do kind of feel like it's not necessarily their fault. And I feel like it's a bad system mm-hmm. because I think it's wild that Thinks can have 17 certifications saying their product is safe, saying it's free from harmful chemicals, saying like they're meeting the most rigorous garment certifications and standards. And they still end up maybe not being safe. Yeah. And if I were in their shoes and I went through, I jumped through through like 17 different hoops to make sure my product was safe. And then I found out that that does not include everything. Right. I would be so upset. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are more like aware and making them. And like, maybe they, they have like not great, motivations or whatever or like they don't care that they're lying but I'm I'm just saying that like if I had a product that like was said to be safe I did all this testing mm-hmm. and then was like it's not yeah and if the experts told you or who you thought were the experts told you oh this is great yeah they were like yeah and then it's not so like that sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the fact that they've are also are already sold so much product because maybe someone misunderstood something mm-hmm. or maybe the people who were trying to get them to opt into the certification were like, you can say it's PFAS free. Like, I don't know where that miscommunication came in. You know what I mean? But I feel like there was maybe a lapse in communication there. For sure. Like, I don't think that they were necessarily intentionally lying in the first part. I think that they maybe could have handled it better on the back end or maybe gone back to look. But like, what do you do when you've already sold so like millions of dollars worth of product Mm -hmm. and you're like, shit, like we've already like, what do we do? Like buy them all back? Like, I feel like that's a very tough position. Right. Especially for something that's like it's already in our bloodstream and like, yes, it's bad, but it's been unfortunately used by many, many companies in so many uses. So it's like. If you can't even concretely prove or it felt like you couldn't concretely prove that it's in your product and this product is like positively Mm -hmm. changing the lives of maybe millions of like menstruating people, then you're not. I don't know. I I also I'm on your side. And even as you were telling me about the story before and as you're talking now, I'm like, am I going to stop wearing my Thinks underwear? Like probably not, but maybe I should. I don't know. Yeah, I 
full disclosure, I had my period fully through researching yeah. this and was wearing thanks the whole time. Same. Because my dog ate my menstrual yeah. cup. So I was like, I don't really want to use throwaway products and I don't really have that many yeah. either. So like, I'm just going to use this like a, at least a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Probably won't hurt. But yeah, so I just think it's like a really, really tough place to be. Again, I would be like devastated if I were in their place. Mm-hmm. Like they have done really good things about like breaking a lot of the stigma around periods and like they're a good product mm-hmm. other than the fact that they maybe have PFOS in mm-hmm. them. And it would be great if they were like, these ones are actually for yeah. real PFOS free. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I honestly feel bad for them because mm-hmm. and I honestly don't know what I would do if I was in their shoes yeah because the like maybe like the most moral like s- most ethical thing to do would be to buy back all the pairs or refund everyone but like that would ruin them it's been years at this point yeah and it's been so long and like yeah who knows if they were in earlier products like which products they were in at this point so it's just kind of a nightmare so I feel for them I hope they make good decisions going forward, but like, I feel bad. Yeah, I'm hesitant because it's like I don't want to let them completely off the hook by any means. But yeah, well, and I hope that it's something that can be regulated. But yikes, big yikes. Yeah, that's like I I fully like I hope that's what, like that's why I say I hope they make good decisions mm-hmm. going forward. I hope they make it right. But like I I again I feel for them having tried to at least like make their products safe mm-hmm. and do more than a lot of other companies are doing. Right. So, yeah, I think basically we need definitely more education around PFAS, considering that we are all affected by mm-hmm. them and regu- like more regulations on what like actually safe levels of PFAS are. <laughs> we literally have no idea what is the safe level to be wearing in your underwear. No idea. It could be bad, could not be bad. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just one of those things where like that, it seems like it's probably not good. Yeah. So yeah, we need more regulation. And again, we should probably just stop using them all together, but we'll get there maybe one day. Are there companies that don't use them? I know you said you had a list. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but first, you. this is definitely something, this is like a talk to your Congress people moment. Um, because there are laws happening in California and New York about ingredients mm. in menstrual products. So that's something that we can ask for other places. And yeah, basically, we need more standards. But yeah, like you said, there were some tests done by Momovation. They looked at like a whole list and they split it into three parts. So the first category was over 100 parts per million. And this was like the bad category. Like this is too much PFAS for us. Mm. So the pairs that tested with over 100 ppm were the Thinks Bay Short with 619 ppm of fluorine, Thinks High Waist with 940 ppm, Thinks uh, Between, uh, which is 132, Nick's High Rise, which is 373, the Proof Hipster, at 234 and then so that was the bad the bad group and then the medium group that was under 100 ppm so like definitely detectable levels but maybe not skyrocketing off the charts mm-hmm. levels uh were the nyx boy short at 43 ppm of fluorine joyja at 18 ppm 
Red Ruby Box at um, 27 ppm and 22 ppm. Saltware, and that's salt with two A's. Uh, at 10 ppm, Sustain Natural at 71 and 17 ppm. Victoria's Secret at 20 ppm and 12 ppm. That's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> the Think Speak High Waist at 10 ppm. Cora at uh, 14 ppm and 13 ppm. And Panties at 37 ppm. So those were all like medium. Okay. And then um, underwear with no detectable levels of fluorine were Lilova, Isle, Bambody, Intimate Portal, Period, and Mottie Body, and Revel. I'll like maybe put like highlight on our resources list, like the article that has all of this information mm-hmm. because I would not remember this after listening, but like. Hopefully those those brand names like spark something next time you hear mm-hmm. them. I will also say that Momovation did have affiliate codes or affiliate links with some of the brands that had no PFAS, mm-hmm. which is slightly suspicious. But also, hopefully they like reached out to partner with them after they realized they were like solid brands. Right. And they said that they used the money to like pay for the testing that they did. So uh, they were upfront about mm-hmm. it at the very least. But... <laughs> I guess that's kind of what happens when publications and individuals are forced to test products for themselves because literally no one else will do it for us. So that was a little rundown and hopefully that helps with uh, making informed decisions, uh, whether that's just like, I'm going to keep on wearing Mm -hmm. my things and keep my fingers crossed or uh, looking into the brands that don't have any detectable levels of fluorine. But yeah, again, we literally don't know (laughs) what is safe when it comes to wearing underwear with PFAS, what are safe levels of PFAS to have exposed to our skin? You know, if you have a couch treated with uh, stain resistant stuff sitting on it, like, is that mm-hmm. bad? <laughs> Probably. Are you absorbing it through your legs? Is that just as bad as wearing period underwear? Like, there's so much that we literally have no studies and no information on. And that's something that, that we really need to know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just as like a fun bonus, oh, no. um, I just figured I'd, I'd also share a list of ways to avoid uh, PFAS in general because it's definitely something that like the higher, like the more you're exposed to the worse and like the more you can cut out in general, the better. So if you don't want to give up your period underwear because it was expensive and <laughs> it's what you have right now because your dog ate your period cup. <laughs> Phase out nonstick cookware in your kitchen. You're eating PFAS. Make sure your tooth floss doesn't have PFAS. If you buy disposable plates, get ones without PFAS. And a hack here, and honestly a hack with packaging in general, is to check and see if either the plates that you're trying to get or like whatever the packaging is, is compostable. Mm. Because I think to get that certification, you need to have like 10 ppm or less like you have to have really low levels of pfas so compostable is better for many reasons including pfas reasons Mm -hmm. you're going to want to avoid fast food as much as possible because a lot of the wrappers have pfas like basically any wrapper that's like grease resistant or most wrappers that are grease resistant get a reverse osmosis water filter for your home especially if you live close to a military base or an airport those are expensive so maybe not the most practical option but 
a good one if you have a mm-hmm. buddy. Avoid buying things that are marked as water stain or dirt resistant and decline any optional treatments for furniture or carpets for things like that. Avoid buying any personal care products that have ingredients that have fluoro, like F-L-U-O-R-O, or perfluoro in the names, uh, because these and those like have PFAS in them. And those types of ingredients can be found in lotions, makeup powders, nail polish, dental floss, and shaving cream. So keep an eye out for that. And also just dust more because I guess PFAS stick to dust particles. And if you have more dust in your house, you're more likely to breathe in more dust and more PFAS. So get dusting. Um, (laughs) That'll help a little bit. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, this is something to talk about to get more people aware about and to get more regulations around because there are very little yeah. and and we just don't know that much about it. So we need that information saying it's either good or bad to like know what to do. So there you have it. Hopefully, maybe even more information comes out as these lawsuits progress. And hopefully it wasn't too boring with <laughs> science stuff and legal stuff. But yeah, that's that's about it. But it is so important. It yeah, and it and it is important. Like, I don't know. You just gotta listen to it. And then like I feel like these things, like I hear it once and then I'm like, it once I hear something that I might not pay attention to later, like it rings little little bells. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah, no, seriously. Like to even just hear about that again especially because that um episode that we did was like a year and a half ago now yeah it was yeah episode 13 I feel like we when we got there I was like we're so far in yeah doing it and now I'm like wow that was like we've what like almost tripled the amount of episodes and we do them less frequently now too so like that's that was a lot true yeah um yeah but good reminder for sure um, I can transition us to the dump because I have something next to me that is yeah. relevant to both okay, your amazing. story yes. and an earlier story. Unfortunately, I haven't tried it yet, so I can't um, report on that. But I'm just going to show it to you at least. Okay. It's, um, it's Glee Gum, which you talked about in, I think it's like episode six or something like that. You're talking about plastic-free like gum. That, yeah. um, but on the front of it, it says plastic-free and non-GMO, which um, it's called natural chewing gum, too. And I just think that that's like Mm -hmm. so interesting because, again, most people don't know that like lots of commercial gum brands have plastic in them. But you told us that story and I've never forgotten it since. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I don't really chew gum anymore, like largely because of that story, although I kind of had transitioned it out too, just because of the waste factor. But I don't think this this came in like a cardboard box, but it is wrapped in plastic. But I think the individual gums are not in plastic. Um, and it doesn't have mm-hmm. it's uses chicle, which is like the best option. So that's mm-hmm. another thing that like I learned from doing this podcast. I had no yeah. idea. The good thing about having that kind of gum is that um, one, you're not eating microplastics. Mm-hmm. And two, when people ask you for for gum and then you take that out, they'll say, never mind and not take because it. <laughs> it's a little bit bad. <laughs> But you know what? It freshens your breath. It kind of, you know, does does what 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 you need yeah. to. 
give and take. I, I just think it's it's so funny. People are like, uh, never yeah. mind. I don't want Buzz. that. Because I feel like normally with gum, like you give gum to one person and everyone's like, I want mm-hmm. some. It's just not, not if you're an all natural gum chewer. Yeah. There are a couple products like that or it's like, um, I feel like uh, toothpaste can be another one or people like borrowing your things. Mm-hmm. Like if people come over and they like need to use my shower products. When I used to have especially like a solid shampoo, right now I have like a, a bulk one that I use. Uh-huh. It's more like traditional, I guess. Um, but whenever I've had mm-hmm. like solid shampoos, I'm like, it's not hard to use. You just rub it in your hand and they're like, mm, I'll use I'll use my own. I'm like, OK, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so mm-hmm. funny. But yeah, I I love I, I think Legal Gum is great. I hope that they keep doing what they're doing. I just think <laughs> it's just so yeah. funny to me when people are like, actually, I'm good. Yeah. But yeah, I I listened to the podcast you suggested. Really already? Um, yes. So the the father wants mm-hmm. us dead because I was like I I know that name. I well I was like I think I know this story because I was like is this the ballroom one? And mm-hmm. it was. I'm just terrible with names, mm-hmm. and so I know all these like true crime stories, but I always forget the mm-hmm. name of the person. But I remember like all the details of the story. So I was, yeah, it was the John crazy List story to too. Uh, mm-hmm, the John List stuff. It's so crazy, and right? Just, have you have you caught up to yeah, the to where yeah. they are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that story is absolutely insane, and the way that they um just again to give a brief overview for anyone that didn't listen to the last episode, it's called Father Wants Us Dead. It's a um a podcast done by I think NewJersey.com or like a New Jersey newspaper, and they interview yeah. all of these people involved in the John List story or like in his periphery who was someone that. Um, Mm -hmm. He murdered his entire family and then went on like got a new social security number because it was the 70s and like restarted his life and wasn't found until like um, almost two decades later via America's Most Wanted. So it's like such a fascinating story and definitely deserved its own like longer exploration, which I hadn't really heard before. So I'm glad you listened to it. It's just fucking crazy. Yeah. And like like the the murder itself was so Mm -hmm. bizarre that I think it's so easy to stop there because it's just like, it's also like, I, I haven't seen any of the crime scene photos or anything, mm-hmm. but just like, it's so, it's easy to visualize. Yeah. Almost. Um, so it just like, I think sticks with a lot of people. But, um, and again, like, like a ballroom is involved. Like it's crazy. Um, but yeah, no, it was just so interesting. Yeah. And his um, rationale that like, if he killed them now, they wouldn't yeah. like commit sins in the future and they would go to heaven, but he couldn't kill himself because suicide yeah. is a sin. Just like the logic. Yeah. And he continued to be like religious. Mm-hmm. Like it was just so bizarre. And like they they also talk about like diagnoses and stuff that he has and just like how he thinks, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've I've enjoyed listening to that because it's just like so fascinating. And then I also listened to the other one. Um, Something was mm-hmm. wrong, which is which I think is interesting because it's almost like the opposite of that. Because it's just like could happen to anybody. And it was like honestly less sensational than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. a nice surprise. And it's, it's so it's stories um, that are told. It's stories of basically like relationships that people have had where something was wrong. All of them vary. But it's told by the person whose story it is. And like also sometimes by their friends. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's like less sensational. And also it's very much like 
okay, do I pay attention to these small things that are happening around me or do I ignore them until it becomes like a massive issue? <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think it's so interesting, like, because like th- this isn't a spoiler, but it was just or it kind of is, but whatever. <laughs> it's just like everyone was just like for so long. There were a couple people that had like concrete, like this is a red flag. Mm-hmm. But most people were just like something is yeah. weird. And it's a kind of situation where like if I were her before I realized before like certain facts became plain, like I would be like, you can't just say that I can't do this because like you just have no reason. You just get a weird mm-hmm. vibe, which I, I also think like listen to vibes like weird vibes generally means. something. Yeah. So if everyone gets a weird vibe, <laughs> that's not a good if the sign. vibes are off. But like <laughs> if the vibes are off, do not. Uh, get more information but yeah it was just it was just wild because like half the episodes are just like the vibes were weird Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's so interesting so I I enjoyed both of those I've been listening to them while I've been driving around and trying to get work done did you start something was wrong with the first episode like the first season first episode yes okay Yes, the first. I think you should listen to some of the later ones, too, because they do like condense more of the stories. And it's not like more sensational necessarily, but I think they got like their format down. Um, And but I also like the pacing of like the first season and some of the longer seasons because you really get the feeling of like. I don't know, especially if it's someone who's like, oh, I met the love of my life. And like if your best friend was like, I met the love of my life and he's so great, blah, blah, blah. And he does all these nice things for me that no one else has ever done. And like you don't want to be the person that's like you're being love bombed because you're not even sure if it's true. Maybe it's just that you are so, you know, whatever you think that romance is dead and it's not. Um, (laughs) uh, I find them really fascinating. What else have you been um, doing, consuming, whatever? What have I been doing? I've just been uh I'm I'm going on a trip to Big Bend mm. um in Lake Terralingua in West Texas. And I'm excited for that. So I've basically just been like stressing about getting everything done before I go on Monday. It sounds amazing though. It's gonna be um, beautiful. So yeah, I'm really excited. But yeah, I've just been like busy and then doing too much stuff and then being really tired and then trying to recover and then be like, oh, I need to do more work. Mm-hmm. Um so basically, I've just been binging those podcasts, like <laughs> doing the shit I need to do um, and haven't I like I haven't watched any good. I have like, honestly, if, if you know of any like really good shows or anything, like I would love to know because I haven't I watched I have one. Uh, Stranger Things. OK, oh, wait, do you want com- I'm, I have a couple comedies for you. Anything. Um, I don't think anything. I talked about this last week because I think I watched the whole thing in the last week. It's called I'd Love That For You or I Love That For You. Okay. With Vanessa Bayer and Molly Shannon on Showtime. It is so good. It is okay. like they play essentially QVC hosts. Um, it's called SVN in the show. And Vanessa Bayer plays this woman who was like obsessed with SVN when she was a kid suffering from leukemia. So she was like in the hospital and watching <laughs> okay. constantly like uh, Q- the okay. QVC equivalent like around the clock. And then she gets the opportunity mm-hmm. to become a host and like meets her idol and like becomes a part of the workplace and it is so good um there's so many like amazing comedians in that show or like people that I recognize from um I don't know there's like a guy that was in Greek which is a show that I watched in high school and completely forgot about like um so funny and Vanessa Beyer is just so like hilariously awkward and like 
she just nails mm-hmm. that like I don't know creating like going almost almost too far in like the discomfort but it makes it so so funny uh, I really yeah. love that show and then there's another on Showtime um, it's called Flatbush Misdemeanors and I'd seen like a billboard okay. for it and I just kind of kept seeing it around and I was like oh it kind of looks kind of reminds me of like a broad si- city situation except um, with with men and in Flatbush and it's it's not that similar to Broad City, but it is fucking hilarious. Okay. Um, I've only watched a few episodes of that one, but um, it's basically just the shenanigans of like a group of friends in their mid 20s, but like very much dealing with, you know, social issues, economic issues of like our time and me living in Brooklyn. Also, yeah. I have a di- very different experience, yes. but like a lot of things are very similar or too, too true. Um, and it's just really funny. So did you, did you say it was called Flatbush? Flatbush Misdemeanors. Or Flatbush Misdemeanors. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, maybe I'll watch some of those because I, I have some like things I could do while mm-hmm. watching shows t- tonight. So maybe I'll crack into yeah. those. But, those are good. But yeah. Um, should you do our socials? Yeah, let's do our socials. So uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at World is Burning with no G. And then on TikTok at World is Burning with a G. I've actually been posting on TikTok, so like, go follow. (laughs) And then you, if you have questions or story ideas, you can email us or you could DM us or email us at worldisburningpod at gmail.com. And our sources will be on worldisburning.com. If you want to know what PFOS are and you want to see my favorite resource Mm -hmm. for it, uh, go there. Or And again, I will highlight the source that has the list of period underwear if you either want to get new ones or you just want to have a really good reusable mm-hmm. period option. So, yeah, I think that's about it. And we'll see you next episode. See you then.